0: We're going to read the Bible now. Whoops, dropping on my stuff. So we're reading from Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 to 5. Um, It says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear 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 one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbour. For each will have to bear his own load. Thanks, Anna. Uh, My name's Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here at City Light. It's really good to have you with us this morning. Um, so whether you are new to church or whether you come regularly week in and week out, it's great to be able to open God's Word in you in the second last passage here uh, in Galatians. Um, and I'll get into that in just a minute. But before I wanted to get there, I wanted to share just a little bit about this, um, this series coming up to fill you in on, on what's, um, what's coming next term, because we're pretty excited about digging into this. Um, and it's really a series going through the, the theology that Scripture has, around what it means to be human and what it means to have a body and everything that that kind of entails, which is pretty much everything else. Now, we swim in ideas about the body and about what it means without even knowing it. So there is a movie that you may have heard of called Avatar, and it is the highest grossing film of all time. But there are two things that are particularly interesting about this film. One is that uh, someone on the graphic design team got away with using papyrus, which is a free font for a (laughs) multi-million dollar movie. I don't, someone took a day off that week and got away with it, so well done to them. But the second thing about it is, the film subtly has a very strong theological claim about the body, and it's this, that the body has nothing to do with who I truly am as a person. It's just a vessel or a conduit. It's something that I use to express my true self. So without giving much away in the movie, because the sequel's coming out sometime soon, and it's about 19 hours long, I think, and James Cameron's a little bit touchy about that subject. <laughs> but it's going to dive into, again, this idea that, um, that you really your body doesn't mean anything much. It doesn't tell you anything significant about yourself, that who you really are is kind of not to do with your body, but your body is a way of expressing that. And that might sound like a little bit you know, lofty and uh, you know, above ground and whatever else, but it's not. Because this is the modern understanding of the body. And this impacts everything. It impacts how you think about sex and sexuality, relationships, gender, our understanding of beauty and cosmetic surgery and getting huge and the culture that comes with that. All of this is connected to our modern view of the body. And so what we want to do over this series is to rethink what you've been taught maybe even inside the church as well as from the culture about the body. And our hope over this series is that it will give you a deep and unifying vision across scripture as to how beautiful God's vision is for what it means to be human. And so over this series, we're going to do something just a little bit different as well. The Sundays are going to track by topics, and the midweek groups are going to be moving through some material called Rethinking Sexuality, and it's the first time we've done this. And so during groups, we're going to be getting across the whole Bible's teaching on this topic, But on Sundays, we're going to be hitting on individual topics. So in week one, we start with rethinking the body. Week two is rethinking life. Week three is rethinking sex. Week four is rethinking manhood and womanhood. Week five is rethinking singleness. Week six is rethinking marriage. And then during the week, the groups are going to be tracking through the same material based on a book called Rethinking Sexuality. And as well as that, there are a couple of seminars during it to dive deeper into a few things. Dr. Megan Best is coming on the 27th of July. And she's going to be talking about life and ethics. And then that Saturday, Sam Albury is running a conference. He's a follower of Jesus who experiences same-sex attraction and is going to be running through a biblical understanding of that and of singleness. So there is a whole bunch to dive into over this term. Now, if you've been with us for any amount of time, you'll know that I never say this. But I think this series might just change your life. Now, I'm not a hype guy, so I don't throw that out often. But as we've, as we've dug into this material and prepared it for the series coming up, I really think this could, be, could involve not just one, but a couple of really significant moments for you. and might even save you years of pain and misunderstanding and the doubt and deconstruction that can go with that. Because there might have been stuff that you picked up in a church context that you thought was biblical and it wasn't and it's doing harm. And this might be the chance to just go and rethink things according to Scripture. It might also be a time where you unknowingly have just imbibed things from the broader culture and it's a good chance to bring them to light and weigh it in front of scripture. So I think this is going to be a great series to dig into. So that's Rethink, kicking off on July 24 and for the first week of it as well, our link missionaries who are coming all the way from another part of the world, Morgan and Olivia Renu will be with us. So it's going to be a great week to kick off. All right, so that's Rethink. I think you should be there. Now Galatians... 6 is where we're up to, the second last section in this book that has been on grace, 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 grace. And as we get to the end of this book, the author, Paul, who's writing to a church, who have been starting to wrestle with this idea of how, do you, how are you right with God? Is it something that you do or is it sheer grace? He's made the argument that it's grace all the way. And now he's starting to land on how this will impact church community. And he has one point to make from this passage that, that Anna read out before, and it's this. So that said, as a follower of Jesus, you are saved into a community to be a part of a community. See, isn't it true that every culture throughout history, you can tell a lot about that culture from its mythological heroes, whether that be like a, um, you know, kind of an extrapolation from a person, a Cleopatra, or whether it's like gods like Zeus or the like. All, a culture's mythological heroes can tell you a, a lot about what that culture values and I reckon our culture has its own mythological character as well and it's the Lone Ranger. The Lone Ranger is, embodies all the values of a hyper-individualistic culture like ours, isn't it? The person who does it by themselves. You know, if you're into kind of like highbrow movies like Die Hard, that's got the Lone Ranger in it. John McClane, one man against multiple terrorist organizations, always at Christmas time, year after year after year, Don't be around that guy at Christmas. But the whole point is, the whole point is like one guy against the odds can take down this, you know, incredibly powerful network of villains. But more than that, it spills over into things like the garage myth. You know, the mythology around huge corporations that started in someone's garage. It was just one woman or one man, you know, against the odds with no help at all from the outside, pull themselves up by the bootstraps and build a global organization. And it's a fantasy, it's a mythology. And whenever you dig into the details of it, it's never true. I mean, particularly around the the myth around the garage, the idea that someone built this organization without any help or any luck by themselves, it never turns out to be true. It always turns out they had a leg up, they got a grant, they inherited some money, they they happened to find some people who were able to do work without taking much credit for it. Once you dig into it, it's never the case that anyone did anything by themselves but we still love these stories and we still buy into them and we want to believe them. Why? Because I think ever since the garden, we've always wanted to be God. We've always wanted to have a sense that I can do things without depending on anything or anyone outside of myself. That's the myth that we embrace, that it's better, if you can, to be the type of person who doesn't need anyone or anything outside themselves, to be like God. This characteristic of God, if you want to get theological, is called his aseity. The sense that God needs nothing outside of himself to exist or to thrive. And we want to be like that. But the truth is it doesn't work. That we weren't created to thrive in that way. That it never actually happens. And more than that, the more we pursue it, the more isolated we become. And so Paul is going to say here, now if you've grasped the gospel... You need to understand that you are saved into a body, into a community. It's not just you and God doing it solo, but actually He saved you to be a part of a people and that you need the people around you. And so I'm going to pray that as we open God's Word, He would open our hearts and minds to see this truth in a new depth. Let's pray. Father, we praise You that You have designed us to live and to thrive in community. And so we pray that as we look deep into the gospel this morning, that you would show us our need for you and for one another, that we might honor Jesus with all of our life. And Father, we pray this for the sake of your holy name. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, the passage that Jacob opened up for us was on the Christian wrestle with sin. That in the gospel, it's true that we are forgiven and set free and made new. But that doesn't mean that as followers of Jesus, you will never ever struggle with sin again. There is a reality of the flesh and the spirit actually striving against one another. And so we looked at that last week. And so it's quite natural then that Paul would dive deeper into this topic and how it is that we're going to need help when it comes to the matters of sin. Look what he says in Galatians 6, 1-3. He says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It says the church community should be a community where we help each other to deal with sin. That it is a matter that we help one another. Notice, Paul says here, if anyone is caught in a transgression, and the word here "caught" maybe doesn't translate super well into English. It doesn't mean caught is in; they're exposed or found out. The idea of caught him means the sense is like of being overwhelmed or trapped or stuck. And so here Paul is saying, look, if someone is kind of stuck in sin, that they will actually need help from others. Last week we saw the strange observation that as humans, we can actually become enslaved to our own desires. And that's a strange thing, isn't it? We can have lesser desires that overcome our greater desires so that we do not do what we want to do. And we experience this in all kinds of just inane sort of ways. You can experience it in small cases when you have the desire to save money, that's your deepest desire, but then you also impulse spend, and so your lesser desire overcomes your deeper desire. You can have the desire to be deeply productive, but it's overcome by the lesser desire to be entertained and be on socials, and so that overcomes the deeper desire. But it can also be the case with what we most deeply desire, that a desire for sin can overcome our desire to follow Jesus with all our heart. And so at this point, Paul is saying, yeah, you might get so stuck in something that you actually need people around you to help you out. He says, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them again. You heard the phrase that madmen don't know they're mad. that The key to really going crazy is to think that you're really, really sane. And if that ever happens or if you have experienced before even bouts of paranoia, what you need around you is people who love you and who do have a good grasp on reality to help you to see reality over time. Because the problem is, your mind, the thing that you need to get you out of it, is the thing that you can't rely on. And so at that point, you need others to help you out. And Paul is saying it's kind of like that here with someone who's caught deeply in a sin. That at that point, They're enslaved to their own desires, just like he was explaining from the chapter before, and need those around them who aren't struggling with that particular thing at this particular moment to help you out. That's what he means when he says you who are spiritual should restore him. Not that there's two classes of people in the church, the spiritual and the unspiritual. I think what he's contrasting here off the back of the last passage is he's saying, look, if someone here is really stuck in sin, well, if you at at that time are not stuck in that sin, you can help them and restore them. And notice what he says here. He says, You who are spiritual should restore them in a, in, a, uh, in a spirit of gentleness. It doesn't say, You who are spiritual should judge and belittle them. Or, You who are spiritual should gossip but don't confront them. Or, You who are spiritual should do that thing that people do, which is like, I like to call it the slap and run, where you have a, a big confrontation, and then just leave them wallowing in that. And that's it. You don't help them out. No, the, the goal here, he says, is to restore them. You stay with them, alongside them, and you be gentle along the way, and you work with them through it as they work through this. You do it gently and not harshly or self-righteously because the goal is to restore them. And with this, he then says, so keep watch on yourself. As you do this, as you go to help a brother or sister out, watch your, yourself. Now, what is it he mean here? Well, he could be saying, watch out that you too don't get caught up in that same sin, and there is wisdom in that. And so maybe it's the case that if it's something that you have struggled with previously or is still a bit raw, that that maybe you need to be wise about engaging in that, or perhaps if it's the kind of thing where you might be enmeshed in one another's lives that you don't get caught up in it. There there is wisdom in that, but I don't think that's the main drive of this passage. And the reason for that is is because of what he says next. Paul says, as we read just a bit further on, says bear one another's burdens, and so fulfil the law of Christ, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So when Paul says, You who are spiritual, restore the one who is struggling, when he says watch out, what he's saying is watch out for the sin of pride. Watch out that as you do that, you don't start to think that you're something or a somebody helping someone who's a nobody. Because the whole gospel, the whole way through the book of Galatians has been clear that the ground at the foot of the cross is flat. There are not some, there's not like a, a sliding scale. He says no one will be justified by works of the law. There is no one who will stand before God and boast and say, God, look at my resume, justify me before all these sinners here. All of us who sin, all have fallen short of the glory of God, all need grace and all are freely justified by the grace of God. So Paul says, as you do this, as you help one another out, as you live out the, the, the law of Christ to love one another, he says, as you do this, just watch out that you don't fall into the sin of pride, the sin of thinking that you're something when you're nothing, because that is anti-gospel. That is not the gospel of Jesus. You can't fall into the sin of thinking that you're better than someone else. That's why he goes on to say this. He says, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. See, Paul says, just if, if this, this, the struggle of pride or the sin of pride and self-righteousness is an issue for you, he says, just assess your own life in light of the gospel. And it will give you the humility you need to help your sisters and brothers in Christ. Because the truth is, our righteousness comes from Christ and not from comparison. That our righteousness, our declaration of being right with God doesn't come from our own works. There's nothing that we have done to contribute to that. It's all Jesus. And it doesn't come from comparing ourselves to other people. Do you know that most people, or all of us really, have a tendency to gain our sense of self by comparing ourselves, usually down. Most of the phenomenon of reality TV is about putting people on screen whose life is maybe more of a bin fire than your own, so that you can see them just wallow in their relational tragedy and just think, man, yeah, at least I'm not that, right? There are a show after show that is based on, on getting really vulnerable people on screen to expose so much of their life, because either they don't know that that's what's going to come up or, or they're not self-aware enough to see that that's where the show is aiming at, and a large part of the viewership is just looking at their lives and start and feeling a little bit of a sense of superiority as you watch it. Unless it's just me, I don't know, maybe. But it, it is the case that often we, we try to define ourselves by comparing it to other people. And Paul says this is not a good way to build your sense of self or of righteousness. This is not the gospel. Because ultimately it backfires, doesn't it? Because if you slip into that pattern of looking at other people who are struggling and being like, Look at those losers, or look at those battlers. What happens when you're the one who needs help? Your own condemnation comes back at you. You beat yourself up. You feel too ashamed to ask for help. And so ultimately you don't, and you don't do what Paul commands us to do here, which is to bear one another's burdens. So Paul says, Watch out when you go to help a sister or a brother. It says, don't get caught in the sin of self-righteousness. It's not the gospel, and I promise you it will backfire. It says, we are called away from that. We we're called to see one another as equals in the gospel, as one in Christ, Galatians 3. And we need each other. And that's why he writes, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Right at the beginning of this section, he says it's to love your neighbor as yourself. We're called to be a community that live out Jesus' command to love one another in this way. And being caught in sin is just one of the ways that we find ourselves with a burden that's too heavy for us to bear on our own and where we're going to actually need other people to help us. And there are other ways that this happens too. There are other times or situations when we find ourselves with more than we can carry on our own. A sudden tragedy or trauma. There can be, uh, can be more of a burden than we can carry. And we actually need each other. And in fact, God has designed his community and designed our lives so that when that happens, it actually strengthens the church community rather than weakens it. If you've been in a community group here for any amount of time, I can tell you the times that groups have been the strongest as a group is when you've actually gone through a crisis together. When something has happened and someone has leaned into the group for help, and as you do that, you go from being just a Bible study of people who kind of semi-know each other to a community. And it's happened time and time again. When, when we live out this command here to bear one another's burdens, when someone has more than they can actually carry and step into group life, it unites God's people in a unique way. Because the truth is, we are not an island. We are not self-sufficient. We can't live up to the mythology of the Lone Ranger who by their own resources and strength and and inner wisdom can navigate all of life's problems. Now, God often puts us squarely in a spot where we are way out of our depth so that we will actually turn and lean upon one another and fulfill the law of Christ. And The truth is, even though we wanted to be often like God and not need anything outside of ourselves, that's not the reality of who God is anyway. We believe that God is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That God is love, a community of love in and of himself. And when his people love like he loves, we experience something of the nature of God together. That's why he's designed it in this way. And so the call is to be a community that bear one another's burdens. That when someone has more than they can bear, that we actually are there to step in and to actually help. And I think this will be one of the biggest challenges for the church over this next season kind of post-pandemic. We've had two of the most socially disrupted years, I don't know, e- can I say ever at this point? Surely. I don't know. I feel, I feel like There are still people who've lived through wars. I, I, I want to be careful with that actually. Let's, let's wind that one back a little bit. But it's been incredibly socially disrupted. But the other thing to that is we, we already live in a super individualistic society. We are already, and this is an undisputed fact, the loneliest society ever. We, we do have that title. That's amazing. And because of, the, because of some of the good things we have like, like assistance when it comes to the medicine or the government or we have a certain amount of financial means available, because of that, we can actually live quite isolated lives. We don't need our neighbor that much in just day-to-day life. And so it's actually for the first time in history possible to kind of live the mythology of being self-sufficient. And one of the biggest challenges in stepping out, uh, out after the pandemic will be to be a church community that are committed to one another and that love one another. When we have learned over the last two years to retreat and to spend as much time in our homes as possible, stepping out again is going to be a bit like trying to go for a run after years of not doing it. The coughing and the spluttering and all of that that you have to get over to make it happen. But we are called here to be a community that bear one another's burdens. And Paul says that, bear one another's burdens. I don't know if you noticed as well, he says something that almost sounds like the opposite of it in the passage as well. Did you see that as we went through? Just, just after that, he also writes, But each one should bear his own load. So which is it? Bear one another's burdens or bear your own load? When well, the gospel, there's no contradiction here. It is a paradox, but there's no contradiction. Paul uses two different words here. The burden is the sense of an excessive weight. That's having more than you can carry yourself. But a load, it seems here, is appropriating is is being able to carry what is yours to carry. Because the truth is in the gospel, there are things that other people cannot do for you. They cannot believe for you. They cannot have a personal relationship with God for you. That you yourself need to walk out. You are to walk out your own salvation with fear and trembling. No one can do that for you. The church community can help you in that, but no one can do it on your behalf. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I was a man who lived through the Second World War. And he was a part of a group who had conspired to kill Hitler. And he tragically was executed just before the end of the war. But what a ministry he would have had after that. Imagine, imagine if anyone ever contradicted you about anything, having that card up your sleeve that you tried to kill Hitler. At any point, you'd be able to pull that out and be like, I don't want to say who's wrong here, but <laughs> I, have you tried to kill Hitler? I don't know. But he, he, wrote, he wrote a book called Life Together. Which is about the church community. And he writes this it's a long quote, so bear with me on this, but I think it's worthwhile as we dive into it. He says, There are Christians too who cannot endure being alone and have had some ex- bad experiences with themselves, who hope that they'll gain some help in association with others. They are generally disappointed, then they blame the fellowship for what was really their own fault. The Christian community is not a spiritual sanatorium. The person who comes into fellowship because he is running away from himself is misusing it for the sake of diversion, no matter how spiritual this diversion may appear. Let him who cannot be alone beware of community. He will only do harm to himself and the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you. Alone you had to answer that call. Alone you had to struggle and pray. And alone you will die and give an account to God. You cannot escape from yourself, for God has singled you out. If you refuse to be alone, you are rejecting Christ's call to you, and you can have no part in the community of those who are called. And he quotes here Martin Luther, saying, The challenge of death comes to us all. No one can die for another. Everyone must fight his own battle with death by himself alone. I will not be with you then, nor you with me. Do you see here what he was saying? saying there are some things that you must do alone. You must have your own faith. You must have your own relationship with God. No one can work that out for you or on your behalf. That is your load and your responsibility to understand the grace of the gospel and to live it out yourself. There will be times when you're in over your head and you need help, but there are parts of your spiritual walk that you must walk yourself with God. And that maturity as a Christian is understanding that it's both. Understanding what it is that you must walk out with God And when it is that you must ask the wider community for help in working out your faith. And see, the gospel teaches us both things, doesn't it? If anything, at the heart of the gospel, we are taught that we need help from the outside. That in sin, we couldn't do it ourselves. We couldn't justify ourselves before God and we needed his grace. But we also find in the gospel that it is the way to a personal relationship with our creator God. That we are called to live this out. And that's why there's a second part to Bonhoeffer's quote here. Look what he says to qualify it. He says, Let him who cannot be alone beware of being in community. But the reverse is also true. Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Into the community you were called, and the call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the called you bear your cross, you struggle, you pray. You are not alone, even in death. And on the last day you will, not <coughs> you will be the only one, you will not be the only one member of the great congregation of Jesus Christ. If you score on the fellowship of the brethren, you reject the call of Jesus Christ, and thus your solitude can be hurtful to you. If I die then, and he's quoting Luther again, then I'm not alone in death. And if I suffer, they, the fellowship, suffer with me. You see what he's saying? It's both here. The maturity in Jesus means stepping out your own faith, but knowing when it is that you're out of your depth and you need help from those around you that you might bear your own load, but that you might also be someone who at the right time draws in help from others and and has the humility to do so. And isn't that really what you... like? If you've done anything in terms of helping kids to grow up, isn't that the balance that you have to teach them? It's always the balance of trying to raise kids who are independent enough who can bear their own load but know when to ask for help. And you've got to work out, as your kids get older, you have to work out as their capacities grow how to not do for them the things that they can do for themselves. If you do that, it's incredibly disempowering for a kid. If you're still tying their laces at 18, you missed the mark somewhere along the line. You missed a milestone. Because as as they grow in their abilities, they grow in their independence. But you also want to raise kids who are self-aware enough to know when they actually need help. And in the same way, maturity in the gospel means the same. Paul says you must know when to bear your own load, You must know when you're overburdened and you need help from others. And so in applying this, I think there are two places that you don't want to end up. And the first is the Lone Ranger. You don't want to end up as a Christian as the Lone Ranger, the John McLean of the Gospel. It may be the case that over your childhood and growing up, that you learned to be very independent Because you had a few experiences where you reached out for people and found that you're not going to get either much comfort or much help from them. And so over time, you've kind of learned to be someone who just depends on themselves. And because of that, your inclination in community, even like church, might be to be like, if I've got any problems, that's my issue to bear. And I just need to to tough it out alone. I don't want to be a burden to anyone. I don't want to get in anyone's way. If I've got issues, that's my fault and I need to deal with it. Paul says, don't be like that. Bear one another's burdens and fulfil the law of Christ. Be a part of a community. Be there to help one another, but also at times you're going to need to be helped as well. So that's one to avoid: is the lone ranger. But the other one, I couldn't think of a better title for it, but like the Eeyore. Is anyone? Is hey everyone knows Eeyore? Okay, great. I didn't realise it was such a cultural icon. (laughs) Um, It's sad in the Winnie the Pooh narratives that people aren't looking out for Eeyore a little bit more. That guy's in trouble. But Eeyore, from my memory as a child, moped around saying, nobody understands me. No, he's putting signals out all the time, and everyone just seems to be walking by it. Right? No one's picking it up. Now, <laughs> walk that into the church context. There's not a place that you want to be in where you are feeling like nobody understands me, no one gets me, and you're putting out the nonverbal signals that you need help, and then also being quite bitter that no one's responding to it. Because this also too, like the Lone Ranger, can be a form of pride because it it takes humility, doesn't it, to actually say to someone, I'm really struggling and I need help. And it takes an extra layer of humility when you do that and it isn't actually responded to well and you'll need to ask someone else or ask again. And it can be hard. And I don't want to come across as mocking by starting with it with the E or, but sometimes it's helpful to laugh at ourselves. You know, there are ways in which we can sometimes act childlike and we we do need to grow through it. But if you are here in a part of community, it may mean having the humility to know that in the gospel, all of us actually are going to need help, that none of us are self-sufficient. It's a myth anyway. If everyone else looks like they've got their lives together, they're just better at pretending than you anyway. And to be the person who has the courage to cross the line and to say right now, I don't know why and I don't know what's going on, but I'm really struggling and I need help. Because Paul says in doing that, we're not being unchristian. He says you're actually fulfilling the law of Christ. And it's an opportunity to go deeper into this community of the church. And so is this something you need at the moment? Even stepping off the back of last week, has God by his spirit been knocking on the door of your heart that you are caught in a transgression and you need help? and you're feeling way too ashamed to bring it up, and you've thought about it, and you've balked at it a few times, but maybe now as the second week as we're diving into it, might be the time to just tap someone on the shoulder and say, I just need help with something. Keep your cats up with me this week. I just want to talk about something. Because that's what the church community, Paul says, is for. This is how we live out the gospel of grace. And maybe if you're someone as well who for too long has just tried to tough it out, Maybe it is time just to ask for help. Maybe you're someone who feels just so bad about being a burden to anyone else. You're the type of person who carries a lot of other people's burdens, but the idea that you'd be shifting some of your weight onto someone else just makes you feel, I don't know what, like it's it's the wrongest thing that a person could do. Well, Paul says, no, it's actually living out the law of Christ. This is how Jesus designed his church. We are meant to live in this way to honor Jesus. And so I'm going to pray that God, by His Spirit, would overcome the, whatever it is, the fear, the pride, that we might be a church community that depend deeply on one another and reflect the reality of the love and grace of the gospel as we do this. Let's pray. Father, we praise You that You haven't made us self-sufficient, that You have created us to be in relationship with You and with one another. Father, we pray that over this week, you'd be strengthening us to be a community that depend on one another more. You step into community who ask for help and also who are there to help others. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen us to do this for the sake of your holy name. Amen.